0: are listening to The Teen wolf, wolf So, there is something I do have to tell you though about my notes. I uh, take my notes in a notebook that I used to use for sociology of sexuality freshman year. So, every once in a while, I'll be like, Teen Wolf, Teen Wolf, Teen Wolf. And then it'll be like, The History of Masturbation.
1: And I'm like, Cool. My question though is, why do you still have a notebook from freshman year of college? What am I supposed to do? Throw it away? Yes. But it's paper. Or rip out the other paper. I mean, mine's just like a work notebook, and so looking back at this is traumatic. So, we're both... Yours gone. is more interesting. I,
0: the notes are actually really interesting. Um, how are you? I'm fine. Good. How are you? I'm good. Um, to everybody who just listened to all of that, this is the Teen Wolf ReWolf podcast, a podcast where two friends think really, really hard about a show that really shouldn't be thought too hard about. My name is Christian. And I'm Julia. Cool. Um, We do have a bit of a corrections corner. We do. To borrow a phrase from (laughs) My Favorite Murder, where we
1: screwed up in our first episode. Because we uh, simply cannot Google, apparently, but uh, when I went back to actually find the IMDB page for the Wolf Moon episode, I found out that Wolf Moon is a common term used for the full moon in January, which would make... This semester of school, the winter semester, which I think we were pretty confused about, as if it was supposed to be fall, winter, anyway. I'm less
0: concerned about us not knowing what season it is, but also us being like Herder Wolf
1: Moon, what a <laughs> dumb title,
0: not realizing that it borrows from something. As if Teen Wolf isn't actually like, at least for the first couple of seasons, like deeply based in like lore. It's obviously extrapolated upon, but it does have like a lot of like callbacks to like the centuries we have of
1: werewolf stories. That's true. Uh, So lesson learned from now on, there will be lots of Googling prior to uh, episodes if we have questions like that that are actually easily answered. No, there won't. (laughs) We're not about to start Googling stuff now. I said
0: this to Julia yesterday, like the University of Michigan is just full of people who learned how not to do their homework in high school (laughs) and then got to college and still didn't do their homework.
1: And somehow managed to graduate with honors. That's us. (laughs) Lit. Heat um
0: So, today we are discussing episode three of season one.
1: It is called Pac Mentality. And it was directed by Russell Mulcahy and written by Jeff Davis and Jeff Vlaming. I hope that's how you say his name, but I don't Can I see how know. it's spelled? Here, it's like, can you read my handwriting? Vlaming. Vlaming.
0: Vlaming? Jeff Vlaming. Yep. Sure. Good. If anybody knows, if that's your last name and you're offended. Send us. Leave us a review on
1: iTunes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I think we should just get into our plot summary. Um, We've wasted enough time
1: talking about nonsense. We have. And once again, I forgot to make notes about the plot, so Christian's going to go first.
0: This is just Julia copying my homework, which I
1: did at least a little bit of,
0: and she's not even trying to make it look different.
1: No, see, but here's the thing, is that I listen and then I fill in the gaps so that it looks like I have a better memory.
0: Again, <laughs> you're just copying my homework. All right, wait, hold on. Not that I never got in trouble for that or anything. Did you get in trouble for copying homework in high school? One time in middle school. I once got a Saturday school for copying someone's homework in middle school.
1: There's such a thing as Saturday school? No,
0: like breakfast club style. I got three of them in middle school for like the dumbest reasons.
1: <laughs> I, that's insane. That's, yeah, one was
0: for really chewing good. gum. What? That's absurd. The only one I truly deserve is a girl I knew punched me, and I punched her back, and because I was the second one to throw the punch, obviously I got caught. But she hit me first.
1: Do you know what one of my, like, favorite fun facts about, um, like male and female psychology is like if you if there are two dudes fighting and you like break them up and they break eye contact like the fight's over and you don't have to deal with it but like with girls it doesn't matter if you break their eye contact you should like drag them to different parts of the school because they'll just keep going after each other oh she punched me and ran and I ran after her (laughs) this is why I got (laughs) it that's Saturday (laughs) school worthy (laughs) that
0: is Saturday school worthy but the other two I did not deserve and you don't you don't like have these special moments where you like info dump on strangers like in the breakfast club you sit there and do your math homework and, like, are just embarrassed because you're in fucking Saturday (laughs) school.
1: (laughs) I can't believe Saturday school is a thing that actually exists. Are you at a Saturday school? (laughs) Leave us a review on iTunes. (laughs) So basically, I don't know if you're getting the message here, but the message is leave us a review on iTunes. (laughs) All right. Let's make it worth our time and get to the plot summary, though. All right. So we have one minute on the clock starting now.
0: Okay, so Scott wakes up from a nightmare where he thinks he's killed Allison and then goes to school and realizes she's not dead, but realizes he still might actually killed somebody because all of the damage is still left on the school bus. Um, Then they go to lunch, and now all the hot popular people are sitting with Scott and Styles because Scott is dating Allison. And then they accidentally make a double date plan with Jackson and Lydia, which is goes about as well as you think it does and then Scott is really worried he hurt the bus driver so he goes and asks Derek for help and Derek's like I'll help you if you help me and so Derek no Scott goes back to the bus and sniffs out the bus to see if he hurt the bus driver and then he realizes that it wasn't him who hurt the bus driver and he goes and he thinks it's Derek and then he goes on his double date with Jackson and Lydia and Jackson accuses him of steroids or something weirder and they go bowling, and Allison's like, think about me naked. It's really weird. Oh, was that it? No, no I still seven seconds. And then um, Scott and Derek fight, and Derek finally admits why he's being so shady to Scott.
1: Nice. Thank you. Wait, turn it off. Stop. Okay. Um, do you want to time me? Yeah, I'll time you. Okay. Did I? I feel like I got pretty. You got a lot of it. I think, No, I just need to, like, fill in some, like, blanks there's do you want my notes I have some things I want to say okay
0: I don't know okay. I was just thought and yeah no share. I, appreciate, I appreciate it you're already copying my homework <laughs> okay right. uh, you know what Are you
1: ready now yes one two three go Okay, so basically everything that Christian said, but also um there's an unnamed black girl in this episode who draws attention um to the fact that they are uh taking a man away from the school bus who is clearly um super messed up. Uh the double date is bowling, which is a terrible social activity, and when I get into that later, um there is a scene between um Hot Daddy Argent and Derek at the gas station um, where uh Daddy Argent basically threatens Derek, um, for reasons unknown, except that he's, like, the only werewolf, so he must be the evil one. Um, Scott goes to the hospital to try and talk to this guy, um, well, actually, first he's there to, like, weasel his mom into giving him the car, but then he sees the guy who was attacked. Guy starts freaking out on him. Um, we find out later in the episode that he dies. Um, there's a really epic fight scene, as previously mentioned. Um, also, the cops are kind of, like, sniffing around Derek's house, so... Clearly, there's still a lot of mistrust there, and I'm. And there we go. You're done?
0: Yeah. Oh, well, you had 10 seconds. Do you have anything Did you I want to add seconds. in these
1: last few seconds? No. Oh. I, just, I
0: think it just went... I didn't go off. Oh. Anyway. Well, cool. I think we hit everything. I um, hit everything that w- what might come up later, or yes. we'll just add things in as we go. So, uh, we both watched this episode through the theme of memory this week, and... I think this is an important theme to get started off on early because it is something that comes back in Team Wolf all the time, of people being mm-hmm. unable to remember things, of people misremembering things or having different memories of things, um, I mean, up in both a comedic way and a non-comedic way. Um, so, Julia, let's talk a little bit about what you observed in the theme of memory this week.
1: So this is kind of the beginning of the dream fakeouts that Teen Wolf really gets into um, in this season and then in later seasons where um, you're seeing something that you think is real and then it turns out that it's a dream um, which may or may not be accurate, which when I was first watching this show, like, originally, I remember being super confused by a lot of these um, because they're really shaky and it kind of establishes Scott or whoever's supposed to be, like, we are seeing this through the eyes of a kind of an unreliable narrator. Um, and Dr. Deaton, who we meet in this episode, brings up the concept that wolves, the actual animal, have long-term memory, which is a really interesting concept. Um, and D- Scott has to rely on Derek to show him how to recover these memories because Derek is also a werewolf.
0: Mm-hmm. I also think what's interesting about Deaton bringing up that, like, wolves have, like, long-term, like, familial memories. Like, there is something instinctual driving them, that could be driving them back into California, Mm -hmm. as they theorize. Um, Because I also think we see that replicated in the Argent family. Like, obviously, it's not wolf memory they're Mm -hmm. experiencing, but it is, like, like the stories of, you know, centuries of werewolf hunting that brings them to... Beacon Hills to hunt down these werewolves. Um, which is funny because the same, you know, whatever, the same things that are bringing the werewolves here are bringing the origins here. So yeah. it's not even just... It is, pa- it is pack mentality in both ways, as the title suggests, oh. both in... Scott meeting Derek in his pack, but also, like, the Arjuns having their own pack. And then I think Kate gets introduced in the next episode. Mm -hmm. And then Allison later gets kind of indoctrinated into their kind of, like, familial setting. And I think this is an interesting way to set it up, that it is, like, generational memory Mm. for both of these groups.
1: Nice. Thank you. It's excellent. Jalen, you want (laughs) to (laughs) add? Probably, as we go along... Also, in terms of memory, we kind of start getting a sense of what the actual mystery of this season is in this episode because of the bus driver. Um, When Derek goes to visit him in the hospital, he wakes up, and it's very clear that Derek's never met this man before, but he says, Hail, like, immediately, and then starts saying, I'm I'm sorry. Important that he does not say, Derek.
0: He just knows that he (laughs) is a Hail, and it is the Hail family that caused this problem for him him. also
1: yes um and he starts saying I'm so sorry and Derek is like very clearly confused because he doesn't know who this man is he doesn't know why he knows his name um so the bus driver clearly has a memory that is like very stuck in his mind now that introduces us to what we're trying to suss out in the next couple of episodes um what I think is
0: really important about memory in this episode, too, is that it introduces us to the fact that not all like really none of our characters can ever be truly
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, reliable narrators, not uh, because they are, you know, hiding things, but because now there are things about Scott's life that he actually doesn't even know um, for him to go through an entire night only thinking that he has you know, lived a, a really scary dream and to wake up and find out it's real is terrifying, but he also doesn't really, he did the dream isn't about him killing the bus driver. He has his mm-hmm. dream about Allison, So he thinks it's normal and just a nightmare. And so even his, once he starts to remember when he goes back to the bus and starts to remember things as Derek kind of describes, like teaches him how to do it. He's still seeing Allison before yeah. he starts getting glimpses of the bus driver. So Scott never even fully remembers this event, which I think is really interesting because we'll see moments later in the show where people use, faulty memories against each other um, as, like, acts of, you know, evil, specifically in season three, but it also happens in season four and five as well, and Mm -hmm. I think that that's something that's... It's interesting that we're introducing it so early in the show, and then it becomes one
1: of the major themes throughout. And I think it's fairly unique, especially to teen shows, to introduce the idea that, like, there are unreliable narrators, because... I, I don't think unreliable narration and mystery are quite the same thing because you only have as much information as the characters do. But generally, you trust that like that's pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's one of the things that makes Team Wolf I'm so
0: compelling. Is that going to counter your point slightly? It's not strange to introduce the idea of an unreliable narrator in young fiction. It's strange to introduce it as your main character, your mm-hmm. protagonist, being an unreliable unreliable narrator. Because Scott is, as we find out later, like, as good as they come, but even he can't fully be the one to tell the audience, like, what his story is. Yeah. Which is interesting. You know what I kind of noticed in this episode and the, the first few is before... This is the point in Teen Wolf before we start experience, like, experiencing, like, an omniscience from the storytelling
1: mm. point. Mm-hmm. We're like...
0: We do see clips of other characters without Scott in the room. Like we see Allison and Lydia getting ready for the date. We see the scene with um, Derek and uh, Chris Argent uh, at the gas station. But those are more expositional than anything as opposed to like forwarding a plot line. Um, and it's not until later the season and I think more in season one and two where like we start following around the other characters. Like Styles Jackson... Yeah. whatever, mm-hmm. um, until later. So right now, this the, the actual just filming of the show is structured to only be driven by Scott's through line as opposed to the other characters who, as I said before, are kind of just there for expositional purposes. So for that to be the case and for him to not be able to tell his own
1: story, I think is particularly interesting. We love Teen Wolf. No, like, we love that that's a, a, a tool that they're using in, yeah. in terms of um, narration. Yeah. I I will say that this episode really dragged for me and Oh, it's boring. It's boring. Full disclosure um, we also
0: didn't like this episode everybody. Yes. Especially knowing what's on the big what's capping this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, because the first two episodes are very fun and kind of invigorating and then the next couple are also really kind of powerful, I
1: think. This one just isn't as funny. Um and I think part of that is due to a lack of styles. Um
0: But his parts are all
1: very funny. They they are. Um, And also, the other thing about this episode is, like, I think it's really easy to suspend your belief when you're having a really good time. But there were a couple of things about this episode that I was just like, I have so many questions about, is that real? Why would they choose to do that? Um, Is that just sloppy writing? Mm -hmm. Um, So it was not my favorite. I understand total pivot from memory, but I just wanted to put that. No, no, no. (laughs) Conversation flows
0: as it does. I think you're right. And there's also moments where I'm just kind of like, was that necessary mm-hmm. like the whole scene with like the popular kids sitting down at their lunch table and really Danny's just kind of there to be like I'm gay and then unnamed <laughs> black girl is there to just be like I'm an un-. actually Amazon told me that her name is Harley like just in the character breakdown on the thing on the, bottom of the screen but we don't hear her name and she doesn't Ever. have any lines besides telling us that um they found something they found the body or yeah. whatever And if she had been, like, a full-flesh character as, like, part of the popular group that, like, is, you know, an active... If... Okay, actually, I'm going to reestablish this. If Lydia and Jackson's entourage had been active participants in their entourage as opposed to just, like, paparazzi, which they basically are, (laughs) it would be more interesting. But, like, they're just kind of... Like, I said in the last episode that it's just kind of, like, Queen Lydia and her royal subjects, but her subjects aren't very interesting. And, like, that is a detriment, because also their subjects are where some of the diversity in the shows comes from. So I'm Mm -hmm. like, yes, there are characters who aren't white men, but they're not there for anything except for Danny to be like,
1: I'm gay, and that girl to be like, there's a body. (laughs) Yeah. We don't really spend a lot of time with people who are not the main characters, which is fine Mm -hmm. if that's what you really want to focus on, but I do think part of... Like what makes Orny Adams so great is that he like has a clearly defined role in the show, and he's not there a lot, but like you love to see him, and yeah. I kind of wish that there had been a few more people like that kind of sprinkled in the high school. Yeah, like besides the teachers. Yeah,
0: and all the teachers end up having like their own kind of like roles, specifically in the season three A, and also the second season a little bit like the chemistry teacher. We find out a lot about, mm-hmm. um, and. That's all fine, but I I agree. Like, there's only really one kind of, I would say, like, tertiary character who gets ever really developed, and that is Coach Finstock. mm mm-hmm. um, And the others either fade away, or they become secondary or main characters. Yeah. Which is fine, if that's how they progress, but, like, the fact, like, it just, I think it's, be- it's, it's a lack of world building, where, like... Mm-hmm. Like, the, the, the people on the outskirts of the circle are just kind of, like, gray blobs, and that's boring. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, the whole show is, is gray. Um. The color palette changes. When they no Later. longer pretend to be in Northern California, and they just move Beacon Hills to Southern California, the color palette changes.
1: Yeah. Well, okay. To the point of, like, not having tertiary characters really, bowling. The, deb- the double date that they go on is bowling which is a terrible social activity because it doesn't allow you to actually talk to anyone because someone's always leaving the conversation it's like fine for groups of people who like barely know each other and are I like to be bowling bonding. with your friends I I'm not a big fan but like also how awkward to be sitting at that table and to not be invited bowling with them because it's not like oh we're going to this fondue restaurant which is clearly like a date activity mm-hmm. like no one else gets invited to go bowling it's just before oh of you
0: mean at the
1: the, at lunch, the table. lunch table yeah yeah but That's I weird. also do think that that is Lydia asserting her dominance
0: over <laughs> the people like a lot of, yes, you're not invited I, I do want to talk about Lydia maybe not next but later um uh, I do think Lydia does. It has such a calculated way of interacting with people. That is her looking at the other people at this friend group being like, you've been replaced. And it's like kind of evil, but also kind of brilliant for her to just turn, cut them out of the conversation be like, what are we doing? It's like classic mean girl behavior, but like we know Lydia is not a mean person. She's Mm -hmm. like self-absorbed as anybody is, but like it is just calculated social interaction to keep her on top, which is fantastic. It's so smart.
1: On that note, everyone, we are recording a mini about everyone's uh, Hogwarts houses, so if you thought that that little tidbit about Lydia was interesting, come back for that mini because we'll talk about it some more. Gosh, we are so cringy. <laughs> um, but you know what? We're committed. We're doubling down. That's how we. That's how uh, it yes, goes.
0: how it goes. You just got to double down. You know, I, what I think is interesting about Lydia as well is, especially in the date scene, we um, start to see just how much power Lydia holds over Jackson. Mm. We even just in in the cafeteria scene when they're try, trying to debate what type of animal it was that attacked the bus driver, which, as we know, was a werewolf. Yeah, Jackson says something like, "I heard it was a mountain," or Danny says something like, "I heard it was a mountain lion," and Jackson goes, "I heard a cougar." And Lydia looks up and, like, so exasperated, has to be like, "A cougar is a mountain lion," and then is like. Catches herself, realizing she's gone too far. Like she's shown too much of she's shown too much of her hand and how much you know mm-hmm. she how control she has over the situation. She then d- like goes back and goes, "Oh, isn't it?" Like she dumbs herself down before she accidentally reveals like her ultimate power over everybody
1: in that situation, which I think is interesting. What I think is so great about that choice is like how quickly Lydia corrects him. Like she's always ready. To be as smart as she is, like that is ultimately what lies so close underneath the surface. Um, that it must take a remarkable self amount of self-control mm-hmm. to be the person that she presents to everyone else. Because she was oh, she was on it. Like as soon yeah. as he said that, you could you could see the whatever look it was in her eyes, I'm really running out of words here, um, just like oh my god I cannot believe I have to say this yeah um, which I oh, is so interesting
0: she's a, she's like a viper she has like the utmost patience until she needs to snap mm-hmm. and then when she does it so quick and over you're like what well, it's wait a minute <laughs> yeah it, it's it's I I think patience is actually the way to kind of say it is like she sees a bigger picture in her interactions with people and therefore can suffer through the stuff that kind of mildly annoys her. Whereas, like, a more reactionary person would be like, You're fucking dumb, of course, a cougar is a mountain lion. Although, this scene, that did just remind me of the clip from High School Musical (laughs) (laughs) when they just tell you that Sharpay is the name of a mountain lion. What? A Sharpay is a mountain lion.
1: I thought a Sharpay was a dog. Oh. Like, the Sharpay dogs.
0: That's a dog? Yeah. Girl, maybe I'm dumb.
1: (laughs) No, they're like they're wrinkly and weird looking.
0: Okay, I remember. Hold on. I, do you remember? You can Google it. Google it that. and prove me wrong. Do you remember when Disney Channel used to do like a fun fact edition of the DComs? Where like, I feel like as that's, it would go, like tell you production notes or like random fun facts. It says fun fact: a sharpay is actually a name of a mountain lion. I remember seeing that. And if Disney Channel was wrong, well, Disney Channel is the reason I'm dumb anyway. So
1: <laughs> wait, wait. Wait a minute. No, a Sharpay is a is a dog. Okay. Um, it's a dog breed. They're kind of they're not like the ultimate wrinkle dogs, but they are roll wrinkly. Oh, that's what a Shar-Pei is? <laughs> yes. I think some of them are like more fluffy and then perhaps they look like lions. Um I am so. Yeah, a Shar-Pei is like a a fancy dog breed that you pay a lot of money to have. The breed originates from Canton, China. So, what have we learned? Google is our friend. And
0: Christian is stupid. <laughs> but we knew that before, so it's whatever. Um, but I do want to talk about Lydia, because this... Lydia and memory. Because that is about to come up later in the season. Mm-hmm. Where... Memory and faulty memory is going to be a major crux of Lydia's place
1: in this the first two seasons especially. And then even going forward, like she she is the memory of the group mm-hmm. of friend, of the Pack, really. Like yeah. she's the one that you would want to turn to. Mm-hmm. Um not only because she's the memory, but because she knows how to interpret it. Um which goes again to the like unreliable narrator uh, aspect of it, because if you don't have someone there to interpret your memories for you, like you could just have a completely different reaction to something, yeah, um, and not understand truly what it was in that moment.
0: It's the same way as like how anybody, any two people can remember things entirely differently because their mm-hmm. own biases inform what information they keep. Yeah, um, and once you know once lydia has her interactions with peter later come come later this season and then in season 5 when she is you know in aiken house or whatever like her memory becomes both like the last kind of point of information as to what our villains are
1: up to up yeah. to
0: but is also locked away behind a sort of like
1: the literal iron bars. Yeah. Like,
0: yeah. Iron bars in, in, in season five, but in this mm-hmm. season it is like she, when she shows back up in the woods or whatever, um, mm-hmm. after losing nine pounds, <laughs> God. she doesn't remember anything, you know, yeah. Peter keeps that away from her. Um, which is, it's, it's, it's really interesting how it, how memory occupies like different spaces within different characters, but also ultimately affects the way that we experience the show. Teen Wolf in itself is, like, occupies a strange amount of cerebral space for a show that takes place in the physical world and has, like, physical ramifications, but especially come season three, and in this season, we introduce the idea that evil can be afoot only in your brain, and it can affect the outside world as well.
1: It's depression. That's depression.
0: <laughs> um, a... I thought when I said evil is foot, you'd be like, evil! Like Mermaid Man and
1: Barnacle Boy. No, no, that's just depression. Okay. Um, on a very shallow note, one of the lines that really sticks out in this episode um, is when they're at the bowling alley and Allison tells Lydia, who, this is kind of unclear, like, if Lydia's just pretending to be terrible at bowling, and then she, like, actually does get the hang of it, or if she's been good at bowling all along. I found that kind of ambiguous.
0: I think it's pretty clear that she was good at bowling all the time. Allison's like, you have perfect form. You don't just develop (laughs) perfect bowling form. Um,
1: but anyway, she says, um, trust me, I do plenty of sucking just for his benefit. Which... Confirms a lot of things that we were already thinking about the Lydia Jackson relationship. And they have a really cute moment in that bowling scene where he comes up behind her and they, like, have that cute little, oh, mm-hmm. this is my person um, moment. But it really kind of drives home how much Lydia is investing in Jackson as an athlete, as a boyfriend, um, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Because I really wonder, like, what she thinks she's going to gain from that like, is it just a, a popularity status thing? Like, ultimately, and I'm pretty sure that Lydia knows this. Like, she's smart enough to know this. High school doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Like, it matters in the moment. But, like, we know that Lydia thinks really far ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, as is seen, like, in later dialogue that she has. So, what is, what is she trying, what does she think she's going to gain from well, that investment?
0: I think when we talk about Jackson in terms of him being, like, a dumb hottie, which, like, he is. Yeah. We forget that Jackson also has, like, perfect grades and, like, is just as ambitious as Lydia. So if she sees a sort of, like, you know, Kennedy-esque future for the two of them, like, there's no reason why. that Like, in season six, when Jackson comes back dating Ethan, she goes, oh, we finally figured out, like... Lydia knows that Jackson is gay from like day one or yeah. whatever, but sees a future that they can build together that is like will make them very powerful people and holds on for that. But I also, and I want to hear your opinion opinion on this, I think Jackson and Lydia both know how smart Lydia is, but both play the game of her being kind of second in command in their relationship in public. Knowing that it is the opposite underneath the surface,
1: you know that's interesting because there's definitely nothing really overt that would suggest that Jackson has like his finger on the pulse of how Lydia's how smart Lydia is. but I do think it would be really hard for her to hide that because Jackson is also like dumb but very smart, yeah you know. So I don't think that he is able to completely disregard these things that he must observe about Lydia. Um, and Like, they- Lydia's in all AP
0: classes. You can't just, like, hide that. <laughs> yeah. You know, not that AP classes make you smart, because, like, they don't.
1: Once again. A lot okay. of
0: dummies in the AP classes, and those dummies were me.
1: <laughs> And so, again, this is not something that's, like, really broached in this season. And, like, when Jackson comes back in season six as someone who dates men, um, probably, I don't know if that's, like, a thing that Colton Haynes was like, ah, that's what I want, you know, mm-hmm. for this season. So, it's not really implied that he's gay in this season. But if if he knows that... Also, I don't want to say
0: gay. There's no explicit... Queer. He,
1: yes. So, if he knows that he's queer... I just want to clarify that, like, I'm queer and very often just say that people are gay... And I don't always mean it like homosexual. It's just a catch-all. So I don't want to offend anyone out there. I am also gay. Just to put that out there. You can cut it if you want.
0: <laughs> no, I'm not going to cut it out.
1: I, it's good to clarify because yeah.
0: to to make it clear that that queer is a phrase that you, as a queer person, use as opposed to or just throwing around might be. <laughs>
1: yeah. Mm, oh yeah. No, queer. Not a not a. He's a queer. Kind of. <laughs> 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 but he is, he is not heterosexual anyway. If he knows that and he feels like he can't succeed in high school in the way that he wants to and be out as a queer person. Like, it makes total sense why he and Lydia would have kind of this, like, forged It's a gentleman's agreement. <laughs> it's a gentleman's agreement.
0: Um, but they also do love each other. And, like, when, they ha- when you get to see just moments of, like, kind of Jackson and Lydia just, like, experiencing each other in a relationship. Like, the well, grabbing the bowling ball from her. Like, yeah. those silly cute moments are very kind of fun. And they, obvi- they also spend all of, through the first two seasons, all of their, like, well, part of season two. All of their, like, outside time together. Like, yeah. they're clearly having conversations. They're not just, like, sitting around. I mean, they're doing other stuff. But, like, <laughs> in the interim,
1: they talk. They hang out. Like, they have, you know. Mm-hmm. You don't spend that much time with someone that you don't actually genuinely no. like. Um Interestingly, though, Lydia kind of wants to bone Allison's dad. <laughs> oh, her come <laughs> hither when he comes in? Yeah,
0: but who doesn't?
1: <laughs> who doesn't? It's a great question. Um Jeroborne, you're beautiful. and Jeroborne? Dear you're gorgeous. You have perfect teeth. He really does. He's got perfect teeth. Um, which is a, a great moment and kind of leads us to talking about Allison in this episode where we kind of get to know a little bit more we about We do. Her. Um... There's a logistical aspect to this rebellion of Allison's that really upsets Is me. Is it the
0: front flip? Yeah. It's- Why would she flip? Just jump.
1: It's not the front flip exactly. Oh. I thought you were going to say front door. How she, like, first of all, um, doesn't even, like, put a pillow in her bed to suggest that she's sleeping in it. She just fucking leaves. And then when they come back, almost certainly after curfew, um, just walks in the front door. After having snuck out of her house. I think it might be one of
0: those moments where, like... Her dad knows that she had plans to go out, and I'm sure she got a text or something during the bowling excursion that was like, where did you go? Come on, like, just be home by this time or whatever. Like, do you ever have those moments with your parents where, like, you technically had a rule to follow, but you didn't, but they knew you weren't gonna? Yeah. 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 That's true. Well, And Allison and her dad kind of have that relationship throughout most of the show. Where he's like, don't do this, it's
1: dangerous, and she'll be like, cool, I'll let you know when I'm back. Bye. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, there are two moments in this episode where the parents really just kind of, like, let things go that I don't think I, as a parent, would have just let go. Like, Allison sneaking out, and then also when Styles sneaks in to Scott's room via the window, Melissa's just like, you know what? I don't, I don't even care. I'm going to bed
0: bye. <laughs> we talked about this in episode one, though, that there are things that, st- that like, Stiles' dad and Scott's mom can't stop them from doing. Yeah.
1: But why not just give Styles a key?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Because she doesn't want to encourage, like, that but she's also not going to discourage it. Like, just think about uh, probably all the time that, like, either those like, the parents woke up and just the other person's kid was just sleeping in their house. Like, I think that's just how it is, you know? Like, they obviously, like, they they see the emotional need that Scott and Mm Styles have in each other because there's things in their life that aren't being fulfilled by, like, having another parent or any other friends. Yeah. So as much as... And also, like, at that point, Styles is already in their house. She's exhausted. She just finished a shift at the hospital or whatever. Like, she doesn't necessarily need to be thinking about what these kids are doing because they're... Sixteen, like if Styles was like twelve and showed up at her house, she'd be like, "Shit, now I gotta drive this kid home." But yeah, that, yeah. they're teenagers; they're gonna do. At that a certain again. point, your parents give up. You know, I feel like I turned ten, and my parents were like, "You're on your own," <laughs> not in a neglectful way, but in the way that they'd already raised two other kids and me. and I had an identical twin, so we just kind of looked after each other. You know, that's cute. Yeah.
1: Oh. So back to Allison.
0: Yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to talk about me, myself, the entire episode. I've
1: only talked about me. I mean, you know you, and that's where all of your life experiences come from. So I really think it's okay. Thanks. You're welcome. Please validate it. (laughs) um, So the whole Allison thing, it's really kind of small. She doesn't have a lot to do in this episode, but Mm -hmm. she does openly defy her dad, who... As we kind of glean, is the less strict parent in comparison to her mother, um, but basically decides, well, I don't care that there's a curfew and I don't care that my dad doesn't want me to leave. We're going to front flip out of my window. Are you coming? I love that we establish Allison as like an
0: athlete really early in the series so that like when the crazy weird like jujitsu stuff she does later makes more sense. Like, we give yeah. that her as a personality trait. I know this is not where you were going, but I want to say it. Um, we give her, like, these – we see she's a runner. She starts running in the season, and she's good at gymnastics. So when all of a sudden she's, like, doing hand-to-hand
1: combat later in the show, I'm a little bit like, I buy it. Cool. It may- I mean, it makes total sense given her family and well, what her upbringing must be like as, as we imagine it. Um, I'm just saying for a person who never gets a training montage, it's cool it's that true. we can believe it.
0: Unlike Scott, who like has to have faster reflexes and stuff now, but has never been in a fight.
1: Which I wanted to bring up because of the fight at the end. Okay. Um, Wait, but can you make your point about Allison first? Because I derailed it. I think that it's a moment where Lydia really gets a sense of like, uh, I don't want to use the word cool when I'm talking about Allison because I don't think she's cool necessarily. But like, I think Lydia kind of gets more of a sense that there's something underneath like Allison's outward facing personality mm-hmm. that she is far more interesting than Lydia may have originally thought. Like, I think that when Lydia meets her, she must feel kind of a kinship with Allison, which is why she decides to build a friendship with her in the first place. Um, but I think it's kind of a surprise mm-hmm. when Allison kind of openly defies it. I think Lydia assumes that she'll have to be the one to push on that. And it if she doesn't.
0: I think the defining factor of Allison's personality, and I think this is kind of hard to break down because people have all their kind of thoughts about Allison, but I think the defining factor of her personality is that she doesn't act ask for permission before she takes any action. Mm-hmm. She is like, very confident in her decision-making, which doesn't necessarily always work out well, that she is rarely someone who's like, I don't know, should I do this? I don't know what to do. She's always someone who just kind of does it, which is, I think, impressive. And very... Very atypical of a seventeen year old girl,
1: yeah, I really admire people who are super decisive because um, I am not as you know, from my trying to buy a mattress adventure, <laughs> which took me so long. Um, yeah, I just I think we get to learn a little bit more about Allison in this episode where she's not just a love interest. which yeah. I think is nice.
0: I do. While we're talking about Allison, want to talk about her dad, specifically mm. the scene with Derek, where he busts Derek's windows or gets one of his henchmen to bust Derek, Derek's windows.
1: Speaking of tertiary characters who we never see again, we under- like, I understand that he doesn't hunt by himself, but we really don't get a lot of like, Who does he work with? How are these people involved in the family? Is it everybody who's related or like, Mm -hmm. um, not super what that's about. But, um, one of the things that I wrote down when I was watching that is that this scene comes from a completely different show. This is not Teen Wolf. This is some sort of gangster show. Like, uh, I don't have an example on the top of my head to compare it to, but it's very dark and ominous in a completely different way Mm -hmm. not like a supernatural threat but like a very real yeah real threat it kind
0: of reminded me of some of the stuff in like the gritty marvel netflix series like that Mm -hmm. seems like a scene that would come out of daredevil something that still occupies a space in the supernatural which daredevil does obviously but it is a more interpersonal threat and more adult, very adult. It, yeah, it's it's gritty. It's I'm sorry about the siren, you guys. Should we just
1: wait? Oh, there have been a lot of sirens today. Have you noticed that?
0: Yeah, I saw like four fire trucks when I was out today what this our, morning.
1: What if our apartment catches on fire? That's what I think every time I hear a fire engine because we hear them a lot, and I'm just like, her, her. How, um, where are they going and why? I don't know. There are lots of restaurants in the area. I just assume True. there are kitchen fires. Um. I think, no, back to,
0: hold on, give me a second to refabricate my thoughts. So I see, like I said, it's like one of the gritty Marvel Netflix series. Not like any of the Marvel movies, because those could not have any... Grit. Grit, tooth, Uh crotch, guts, nothing. But the series are all fairly dark, and a lot of the bad guys operate on, like, a systematic level that you see in, like, organized crime, mm-hmm. as opposed to just being, like, evil and having an evil plot and, like, maybe one henchman, whereas that, and that's what we see in this, where, like, there is a, like, network of bad guys, and they come to challenge Derek in this moment, and I, I, it, I think it is really funny that Derek, not funny, but I think it's really interesting that Derek takes the bait and says, you didn't check the oil.
1: Yeah. I don't really know what that – what the purpose of that is when Derek says that because it, it's obviously said to provoke him. And mm-hmm. I wonder if he knows, like, what the consequence of him saying that is. But also, it's like if you're going to be a tough guy, you can't let him have the last word. Like, yeah. you have to say something. Um This scene is also super convenient because it is uh, one of the ads, and it gives ample opportunity to show off the Chevy Tahoe and whatever Chevy sports car that Derek drives, um, which is something we see a lot, actually, in the show. Chevy really, like, hammers home um, in their advertising We support the Motor
0: City. We do. Although, I do want to make note of why you don't understand why Derek says it. I think... Derek actually does get broken down in that moment, specifically from the line that Chris says, which is, I'm, you know, doing this for my family, but you don't have much of that left. He's basically being like, your sister's dead and all your family's dead and who's going to protect you when we come calling? Mm -hmm. And I think even if Derek, you know, is thinking this could be the one this could be the thing that that starts the fight I think Derek's bringing it on I think he's pissed off and sad and also Derek doesn't have a lot left to lose at this point so he's a little bit like you know what fucking bring it I will take you right then and there and the fact that it's just getting his window bust open is like actually kind of merciful yeah because Derek I mean there could have been a lot of comeuppance in that moment
1: that's true. It's also interesting that Chris urgent says that given what we know mm-hmm. about how most of Derek's family actually died as a result of Kate, yeah, essentially, which Chris doesn't know no. at this point. Um And I don't, I'm not sure what kind of suspicions Derek has about that fire, if he has any, because it kind of seems like a bit of a surprise to him later on. I think Um, he knows it wasn't, like, no,
0: no, because he shows, he, in later in this season, I think actually in the next episode, maybe, he brings Scott to see Peter and says, this is what the Argents do. mm. I don't know if, because
1: Derek knows it was Kate,
0: because it's Derek who,
1: yeah, who had the relationship with Kate,
0: yeah. Mm -hmm. It is maybe, I think. I think Chris knows it was Kate, but I think going back to the theme of memory, he knows that like Chris, as we know, is like the one hunter in the show who adheres to the code, their code of
1: Mm -hmm.
0: quote unquote ethics in murder (laughs) where they don't kill children and they don't kill non werewolves or whatever. And Chris knows a lot of people in that fire died wrongfully by the code. I mean, they all died wrongfully, but like Chris knows that that broke, you know, some sort of sanctimonious werewolf hunting rule. And I think that he purposefully misremembers or misunderstands how it happened because otherwise he wouldn't be able to live with his family.
1: I think he does that a lot.
0: I think it, is. Yeah. Back in the theme of memory, I think a lot of the people, especially the ones who sort of tap into, like, what we in the show see as, like, being morally dubious, mm-hmm. find ways to misremember things.
1: Right. I would agree with you. Yeah.
0: So now that we're kind of wrapping up our conversation on memory, which was actually just a conversation <laughs> about Lydia. <laughs> whom we love. We love her. Um, why don't we get into our questions and observations? So do you have any questions or observations you'd like to make? Questions for me? Questions for
1: our listeners? Observations? I have some fashion observations um one is that all of the outfits in this show are bad um except for allison's beanie allison's beanie is great read the beanie
0: the tight curls do you know how people used to curl their hair and like they're really tight curls Mm -hmm. that's all the show whereas like now we do like a beach wave in the year of our lord 2019 where you brush your curls out but looking at allison with those tight tight curls and lydia with like the barrel curls not even like a wave is very funny
1: they're roll bouncy, um, and Styles is the king of shirt layering. He's wearing a t-shirt, a button-down, and a sweatshirt, like a zip-up in the first scene of this. Sometimes uh, you cold. Some Sometimes you cold. Sometimes Especially it's some, winter in Georgia. <laughs> exactly.
0: Um, and they gotta make it look like it's winter in California, so you can't be wearing that many clothes. Uh,
1: yeah. Um, let's see. What are some of my other options? You know, this is just... I really wish that Melissa Ponzio had a little bit more to do on this show. And, like, she definitely does in later seasons. But every time she shows up, I'm like, I'm really happy you're here. You're adding a really lovely, like, mom moment to this scene. Um, And I thought about that a lot in this um, episode. Despite the fact that her son just keeps walking into people's hospital rooms (laughs) with, like, no permission at all. Is this the first time he does that? (laughs) Well, he was in the morgue last episode. Oh, yeah, but she didn't know about She didn't that. know. But, like, wouldn't you be really upset if your son just decided to wander? She into does the scream at him. Yeah. And, I mean, like, there
0: could have been a, a conversation filmed that didn't make the didn't cut make of it. this episode of her being, like, mm-hmm. you can't do that. This is my job. This is our livelihood. Which, they have already kind of introduced the idea that Scott and Melissa are in rocky waters money-wise. Yeah. Um Yeah. So, I think that would probably be something that was taken seriously. Maybe mm-hmm. we just didn't see it. I'm um, also maybe just giving Team Wolf the benefit of the doubt, which they don't necessarily always deserve because, as we discussed, this episode is like kind of boring.
1: It is kind of boring. Oh, I'm sorry. I have one other. Um, I have many observations that I didn't get to, actually. Okay. I wasn't going anywhere. So, yeah. yeah you're,
0: court falls in your court
1: um the two things I do really want to mention um the school bus which is like the scene of the crime why did they just leave it in the parking lot which I guess is an observation and a question because it's evidence like my question is why didn't they
0: cancel school why did that's also a major question. if any violent crime happens on school grounds you are not in school as somebody who went to school in America and had to do all of those fucking lockdown drills. Like, yep. this is pre-Sandy Hook, but it's post a lot of other really scary stuff because America's a fucking nightmare. That, like, they would have canceled school. And the, the principal comes on the PA and makes some, like, nonchalant remark about being like, you still have to go to science class or whatever. And you're like, no, you would not.
1: Minimally a half day. And they don't even do that. Yeah. Like, it's, it's crazy. And then they yeah. just leave it there. Yeah. As if it's not police evidence and they don't have a place to take it. I'm sure they do. I'm sure there's an impound lot at Beacon in Beacon Hills somewhere. There um, is. They go to it later in the show in, like, season
0: six. That's true.
1: <laughs> um, and then the other one, I guess perhaps I need to do some Googling about police-enforced curfews. But, like, if there is a curfew at 9.30 for pretty much everyone in Beacon Hills, except for people who are, like, working at a hospital which is kind of necessary why is the bowling alley still open it's a it's a question that I don't expect you to answer because I have other questions but like it, it just doesn't really make any sense to like bring that really hard kind of ridiculous curfew and then not show any way in which it is enforced mm-hmm. I just thought that was weird we were and- coming about the bowling alley the screens weren't on <laughs> I did not even notice that. The screens
0: that. on, yeah, I was just like, oh my God. they couldn't even have green screened in something later, like, they didn't, you know, That's like, so lazy. Also, like, there was no bowling alley noises where, like, when you get a strike and it starts playing some awful remix of a song and, like, the characters dance or whatever, like, like we didn't get any of that bowling alley nonsense. Yeah, no Also, very well at bowling alley where I feel like nowadays you go to a bowling alley and you're like, am I in a nightclub? What the hell's happening? With
1: alcohol, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. They're fun. I like drinking a beer and going bowling.
0: Um, I mean yeah, I'm bad I, at
1: it well I agree it's it's similar to like axe throwing where it's like drinking and axe throwing sounds like a terrible idea but also like a lot of fun Yeah. Um, before we get to my questions I'd love to hear some of your observations that didn't make it into our uh, larger discussion okay so the one thing I do want to say is actually an
0: acting note and I think it is actually just because the, the script of this episode isn't necessarily as engaging as the two preceding it and then the one's it's kind of a follow. It's kind of it's weak, weak. there. And this is something that happens to a lot of young actors. And it's something that once it's pointed out to you, you never stop noticing, but everybody in this episode commits an infraction of eyes, sighs, or thighs where in responding to something, they either roll their eyes, sigh or like slap their hands on their thighs. If I, I, I know I can't describe this without showing it to you. So maybe I'll post a video of myself putting it on the Twitter <laughs> or whatever, but it's just like, if I had to explain it to you and like, a verbal sentence be like, oh well, ugh. Eye roll, thigh slap. Like I know what you. Mean. Yes, eye size and thighs, yeah. and, and that is something that happens to like a lot of young actors who like don't, and also people who don't necessarily have business to perform like in a scene. Mm-hmm. And Dylan O'Brien unfortunately does it all the time, and I'm obviously harder on him because he's better than everybody. So I'm okay. like, hey, but yeah, no. Um, Crystal Reed does it. Taylor Posey does it. Everybody in this episode commits an infraction of eye size or thighs, and it's like a little distracting to watch. It's just, in, it's indicating. It's yeah. indicative of what the character, like, wants to feel, but not actually feeling it as the actor. So I'm just like,
1: that's hard to watch. In that vein, there's a moment where Scott, I swear to God, looks at the camera. I watched that several times. It's, like, right at the beginning, and I don't remember what it's in relation to. I think it's probably an interaction with Allison. But, like, he wasn't with Styles, And I'm I had the hardest time trying to figure out, like, who he would be turning to look at. Mm-hmm. And he he does a thing with the eyes, size and, or whatever, and like throws up his hands, or, and he like looks at the camera. And I don't know if that was a mistake, or if he's supposed to be looking at someone, but that is an a- acting thing that I noticed. Also, how amazing would it be um, if there were like office interviews? is like camera spikes? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go on just like
0: or just, just like or it was like Jess Styles who like acts as a sort of gym character yes which, yeah um so that was my 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 acting note for the episode I promise I won't just be sitting here critiquing Teen Wolf acting because listen like you work with what you got mm. but also some of the tertiary characters in this show were just they just like called central casting they were like can we have hot people who can't act and like that's who they got <laughs> Oh, Ugh. <laughs> <Like, true. yeah. laughs> um and then my next observation is about the Batman and Robin comment that mm. Styles makes when they're going to go smell the bus. Scott is going to smell the bus. <laughs> Styles is there as moral bus smelling support.
1: Oh, what a weird thing.
0: Because I just wanted to make an observation about that about how it informs like that there will later be there is kind of always now going to be an undercurrent of styles being not quite the hero or like Mm. the leader of their friendship anymore, which I think he used to be when Scott was like a weakling who like couldn't do anything because they were both weaklings who couldn't do anything. But styles had like this bigger personality and was like smart and funny and like whatever. And, And it seemed a little bit better socialized. But now that Scott had kind of occupies like the Batman character, I also think it's interesting that he made that. I mean, obviously like Batman and Robin is like, the OG like sidekick hero thing, but he also picked a
1: hero without powers. Uh-huh, Oh, that is an interesting observation. I I feel like it's probably one of the things that came immediately to his mind. mind yeah, because uh, I'm like other duos. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And we can, I mean, if we spend long enough, we can list a million superhero like sidekick pairings. But like, obviously, that would be your most instinctual one. But I think mm-hmm. Styles used to, and Styles calls himself Batman later in the show. I think it's season two. He's like, "I'm Batman" or something. I um, don't remember that, but we'll we'll look for it. But I I just think it's interesting that like I, to pick a character with no powers is like Styles. You know, when they both had no powers was Batman. Mm-hmm. You know, and now Scott has the fancy tool belt and the. Throwing stars shaped like bats. (laughs) Um, But yeah, those are my observations. I just think that that's an interesting dynamic to start looking out for as the show progresses. Definitely. Um, Do you have any
1: questions? I have a couple, actually. Um, At one point when Melissa is leaving the hospital, prior to um, our bus driver who got attacked, um, he dies, like, right after she says this. But she says, I'm going home. There's so much TiVo to remind me that I'm, like, of shows that remind me that I'm single. And so I was literally sitting there. TiVo. First of all, TiVo. And second of all, (laughs) so um, what kind of shows do we think Melissa McCall watches? Because I think she might be a Bachelor girl. My instinct
0: at first was to say Grey's Anatomy, but there's no way she works at a hospital and goes home to watch a hospital show. Yeah. I think she's smarter than The Bachelor. Well, okay, first of all, um I love The Bachelor so. So, I mean, you're not smarter than The Bachelor, okay.
1: <laughs> Just want to put that out there. But um I don't know, I was trying to think of like shows that would have been on air. I also think it's weird when like people on a TV show reference TV shows. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's strange, but I was really wondering um what kind of TV do we think Melissa watches? Listeners, let us know. Yeah, tell we us what's us. on their TiVo. <laughs> um that was a question. And then this was a question that I had after Derek review, reveals that there's another werewolf, mm-hmm. um, an, an alpha. And he says, you and I are betas. Now, this makes sense to Why are to neither you, of them omegas? Well, I was wondering that. I was wondering if Derek is actually an omega because in theory, um, so, oh, la, la, la. Whatever alpha is out there killed Laura. Mm -hmm. Laura had to have been an alpha because she, like, her and Derek were hanging out and he doesn't mention, like, any other pack that he was with and it would have made sense. Um, So if, if that alpha killed Laura and took her alpha powers, does that make Derek his beta now? Or does it make Derek an Omega because he does not have an Alpha? Would Derek automatically be Peter's Beta, though, anyway, because they're family? I don't... It, it's, like, a, an actual genuine question that I have, because I don't
0: really know how that I don't know either. Works. And they never really explain that until, like, later. And then... Mm-hmm. But then Scott is also... Has this Alpha, supposedly, somewhere, but, like, he's kind of been orphaned. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Oh, the other th- thing, a- this is like
0: a really long
1: series of horrible dads throughout the show. It's a theme. Um, terrible father <laughs> figures. Uh, there's only, well, two good ones, but th- this isn't a question, but kind of like goes on with, with that is Derek and Omega. Mm-hmm. This episode really sets us up to think that all alphas take that shape when we know that they don't. Yeah. Later on. Which I think is an interesting choice.
0: What are your? But thoughts? I also don't necessarily know if they had the entire mythology planned out. Like, I I'm think sure they, they wrote didn't. the first season of Teen Wolf being like, this might get canceled. <laughs> and then later it got better because they were like, yeah, we're on the air. And then it got obscenely popular. So, like, they, you know. They had to try her. Well, they just had to just firm up their mythology. Um, my one question is, did Derek kill the bus driver or does Peter come back and kill that bus driver? Or does he just actually succumb to his wounds? Which, that was a really bad piece of dialogue. It
1: was was very terrible. Um, I don't think that Peter comes and does it. I think maybe his interaction with Derek um, freaked him out to the extent where, like... It overwhelms him. It overwhelms him and his body starts to... Shut down. ...respond to it. Um, I don't think it's inherently Derek's fault. Um, And also, they kind of set it up to make him look... Much less injured than he must have been, because mm-hmm. when Scott goes back and actually looks at the bus, there is a lot of blood. But he says him. most of it's his. He says most of the blood. Oh, is okay, I missed that um, piece of dialogue. I, I don't know. I just really feel like that bus driver was in worse shape than the makeup department made it out to be. But I'm not sure. Budget. <laughs> I oh, I'd love to know what the budget is. I'm sure that's public record. But I'm sure it is. It up. Um, my last question.
0: Does Deaton know about Scott already as an emissary or whatever? Does he know?
1: I'm sure he has to.
0: think. He starts hinting, like, once we meet, meet Deaton later and stuff, but, like, does he know in this episode we finally meet him?
1: I think if he is an emissary and if he was as closely linked to the Hale family as we were led to believe later on... He has to know. Mm-hmm. He has to know that there's a new alpha in town because that doesn't seem like something he would let slide past him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he must have noticed like the differences in Scott because there's a, a point where like all of the cats in the clinic react really negatively to him. Yeah. Um, so I think if Deaton doesn't know for sure, he definitely suspects something. Interesting. I him think. and Jackson are both on to him. <laughs> They're on him. Well, if Jackson can figure it out, or if Jackson can figure out that something different is going on with Scott, then Deaton has to know. Yeah, because he has those actual tools to be able to pick out what that looks like. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. Okay.
0: Let's say he does. Um, right now, we're going to move over to our past stats, and we'll do them really quickly before we get to our alpha of the week. Um, so our pack stats are a bit of a mixed
1: bag this week. We had no mm. claw unfurling At all. Kind of sad, because I do like the noise it makes. And also, there was an entire fight scene between Scott and Derek, so you think that would have been a prime, prime. moment, but... That fight scene is very good, but some of the choreography is, like, really clunky. It is, but I It's really, like a nonsensical fight. I think it's very aided by, um, the mm. My Chemical Romance song that's playing in the background, which forgives a number of ills.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, it is fun. It does not necessarily fit the mood. I think later when Teen Wolf kind of resorts to putting like techno under a Mm. lot of their fight scenes, it's better because when there's like words happening in a fight scene, I'm always like, like, what am I supposed to be listening or (laughs) watching to? But no. Yeah. I mean, also like the, the fight choreo in Teen Wolf isn't always great, but it is better than like a lot of other weird like shows where like you just get horrible fight choreography. So I think it's passable. Um,
1: I made a note that it was pretty decent, like, for
0: what it is. Yeah? Yeah. Like, if I was choreogra- choreographing, if I were <laughs> choreographing that fight, I wouldn't necessarily have made some of it. Like, when he picks Scott up and throws him on the ground a bunch of times, I'm like, you gotta change your move, man. That's not gonna yeah. work every time. Um, so, no claws, even in the fight scene. We had one moment of Scott being shirtless when he's remembering him his nightmare, but from the third person, which is weird. Yeah. Um, we had five instances of eye glows. Um, my favorite was when Derek is just, like, squatting in the burnout and stares at the dog.
1: But that is so weird to me because we see later on that they use their eyes to, like, make other animals submissive. And this just makes the other dog go crazy. But he
0: might be sending off animal signals that we don't understand. Like, you know how different barks mean different things to dogs. Yeah,
1: but there's not, I don't know, I'm not detecting a difference in the way that the eyes glow. But I'm you're sure a is. You're not a werewolf. I'm not a werewolf. You're right. Yeah. Um... So there was one look up, look down, and then Mm -hmm. the rest of them were just glowing eyes. We have five total. Yeah. And then finally, we had two egregious ads.
0: Um, One, as Julia mentioned earlier, was a fine, fine look at that Chevy Tahoe. (laughs) And the second one was a Nokia phone, which is Styles' phone that he pulls up to show the news video on. And Nokia is a very notable advertiser on Teen Wolf, which is so funny because you don't do you know anybody who owns a Nokia phone? Literally
1: zero people. Nokia
0: phones were like the biggest meme for the longest time, just being indestructible.
1: Well, what I don't understand about the Nokia phone is like, did, could you get TV on your Nokia phone in 2011? Because they're literally watching the news on his phone. It might have
0: been a YouTube clip. Possibly. Because you why could get they? YouTube on your phone in 2011. That's when iPhone started being a thing, right? You
1: could. But I also, why would a local news segment from that day be on YouTube? I I don't know I don't know I don't know. It's very
0: confusing. I think I had I had a flip phone when this was happening, so I have no idea. How to,
1: <laughs> this was because this was before everybody had a smartphone. Yeah, this was the year before I got. No, I got a smartphone in 2013. So yeah, you're right. 2011.
0: Yeah. Actually, Sometimes. I didn't know a
1: flip phone. I had a slidey
0: phone with a full keyboard.
1: Oh, me too. And then I, um, I broke it because I was trying to put my student ID back in my bag, and I literally severed the keyboard. <laughs> between the keyboard and the actual touchscreen of the phone um yeah it just didn't work after that
0: That's what, although those phones were still more indestructible than an iphone you're like oh i could throw
1: it against a brick wall and it oh yeah we, we
0: all had those flip phones where like you would drop it and instead of like having your like clutching your pearls because you think you shattered your screen the battery would just fall <laughs> out the back and you'd pop it back in and go about your day in
1: seventh grade or whatever it was simpler times
0: simpler times Better times. I love being able to not like worry that I threw a thousand dollars down the drain when I dropped my phone. Yeah. Let's start a flip phone renaissance (laughs) wolf pack. Everybody, we're all going to go out and buy Motorola razors, and that's how we'll talk to each
1: other. That like fake Motorola commercial where they were implying that it was going to come back. Yeah. That, oh, that was like one of the greatest days of my life. I was like, oh, maybe I'll actually be able to afford a razor this time around.
0: The best was, like, when all the phones had, like, different names, like, car models, like, oh, I have a chocolate, like, oh, I have a juke, you know?
1: I don't remember that. The
0: juke but... was the one with, like it, was like, it was, like, literally only an inch wide, and I have no idea how people texted on it, but it slid up like a rotator, and then the chocolate was oh, another yeah. slide upside down phone. Ugh. What a time to be alive. I know. Actually, I think 2011 was past that era, because I think that was, like, middle school for me, so like 2007. iPhones existed, I just didn't have one. Yeah, iPhones existed, (laughs) I was just not there. I just didn't exist with them. (laughs) Okay, so before we get deeper into any more shenanigans, do you have an alpha of the week this week, Julia?
1: Oh, God. Derek. Derek, really? Derek is...
0: I have already picked Derek as an Alpha of the Week, so I have no room to judge, but why this episode? Um,
1: well, okay, so I did write down as the episode was ending that Derek just won't tell Scott what's going on and it's getting annoying, but he does finally break down, and he doesn't have to help Scott remember what happened on the bus.
0: But he gives him- he makes him a- he basically makes a deal. He's like, I'll
1: scratch my back if you scratch yours. It's not out of the goodness of his werewolf heart. No, it's not, but he still helps Scott. Okay. Like, um, I- by default of him being the person at the moment who knows what's going on, because we don't know anything about Deaton at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, He's the one who holds the key to Scott understanding his new life. And he gives a little bit more of this episode. Um, And we're really starting to get a feel of like what the relationship between Scott and Derek is going to be, because it will be fraught pretty much the whole time that Derek is on the show. Um, but yeah, he's my, my alpha of the week. Um, one, because I also think that you start to feel a little bit more sympathy for him at this point, Mm -hmm. um, because you have that interaction with Chris. And as far as you know, Derek hasn't done anything to warrant that kind of abuse. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that, my God, starts to bring you some sympathy towards Derek and that's kind of, that's where I'm at this week. Cool. Who's yours? Um,
0: mine is Lydia, and though she may have nothing to do with the actual, like, through line of this episode, it is really refreshing to finally, because I was just waiting for her to finally show her true colors just a little bit, because it would have been so easy to just make Lydia, like, a bimbo, and I mm. would have loved her all the same, but the fact that we are finally privy to just how smart and interesting and in control of her surroundings she is, I think is really refreshing and fun.
1: I would agree with you.
0: Thanks. Thanks. All right, everybody. This concludes episode three of the Teen Wolf ReWolf. You guys can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Teen Wolf underscore ReWolf, and from there you can find our personal Twitters and our Instagrams. You can also follow us on Tumblr now, which I think the Tumblr is just Teen Wolf ReWolf. Um, right now, it just has episodes on it, but I'm sure we'll put more cool stuff on there um, as the time comes. Please, if you liked this episode, leave us a review on iTunes so we can get out there to more of our wolf friends. Um, and other than that, I hope you guys are enjoying September. Yeah, have a great week. Have Thanks. a great week. I hope it gets cooler. It's still really
1: hot. It's just, it's just humid. Yeah. It's okay. It'll be great. We're all gonna have a great week. Wolf pack. Yeah, get ready for our Harry Potter cringy mini Ooh, yes, that's gonna be real good.
0: All right, love you, bye. Bye.